All right, Philippians uh, chapter 2, and then you can also turn over, hold your finger there, and turn over to John chapter 13. John chapter 13. We know, I want to talk about the love of the brethren, but um, we know that we're we're told throughout the Word of God that we're to love one another um, over and over and over, Um, especially if you read through uh, 1 John, 2 John, and so forth. Um, But this morning, I want to focus more in on how to love one another. I believe that we have kind of a template here in uh, Philippians chapter 2, but let's begin in, we'll begin reading Philippians chapter 1. I want to just get a little bit more of the background. Uh, Philippians chapter 1, verse 27 says, Only let your conversation, that is your conversation here is your behavior, your conduct. Only let your behavior be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit. And I, I did a handout here with the scriptures. And if you follow along on there, I, I kind of broke these verses down into thoughts um, and, uh, or complete sentences. Um, we know that verses a lot of times are, are broken down and it's not the, the total sentence, but I, I broke all these scriptures down in complete thoughts as sentences and underlined a few things to stand out. It, going on, it says, Oh, whether I be or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs. And then notice this, that ye stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel and in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. For unto you it is given in behalf of Christ. And then notice this, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake having the same conflict which he saw in me, and now here to be in me. If there be, therefore, any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels of mercies, fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Does that sound familiar, that terminology, being of one accord and one mind and loving each other? That's how the church started on the day of Pentecost. And it continued throughout the New Testament. Uh, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. Nothing be done through strife or vainglory. Vainglory there is self-conceit. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took on him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And then turn over to John chapter 13. John chapter 13. This is the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you. You notice in Philippians, he finished those thoughts of loving one another and how to love one another by having this mind in you which was in Christ Jesus. And we'll look at that a little bit later. But notice Christ Jesus in John 13 is using himself as an example also. John 13, 34. A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. 
By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. So as an overview, um, Paul in the previous chapter is speaking to them, at, um, is speaking of coming to them at some point. If you go back to the first part of the chapter, he talks about how much he wants to come to them. Um, but if he does not, he prays that he might hear good things of them. In verse 3, you go back over there, uh, or it's in your printout. No, it's not. If you go back there in your Bible, <laughs> verse 3 of chapter 1. Notice, notice these things that he's saying concerning them and his concern uh, for them. He says in verse 3, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Verse 7, even as it is meet for me to think this of you, because I have you in my heart. Verse 8, God is my record how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. And then in verse 27, a verse that we already read, he said, Whether I come and see you or be absent, that I may hear of your affairs. And then finally, in verse 2, he said, Fulfill ye my joy. He's kind of concluding all of these thoughts. And when we get to chapter 2, he says, Fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love. And so, um, we see here how much the church of, of Philippi uh, meant to them, how much he loved them. Uh, this, this epistle is not an epistle of rebuke or anything. He's just trying to encourage them. And much of his encouragement in this epistle is to just keep doing what they've been doing. You know, a lot of times we just need to be encouraged. A lot of times the preacher will get up to preach, and he might preach on a particular topic. Um, it's not that he's coming down on the church. It's this is what the Word of God has to say, and if we're already doing it, we'll keep doing it. And if you're not doing it, well, check yourself. Consider whether or not you need to do those things. Well, that's what he's doing in this, in this chapter. Paul, when he went to Philippi, you remember how when he went there, it wasn't very long at all. And he was beaten, thrown in jail, abused greatly, and then he was released. And that's the story where the Philippian jailer gets saved and so forth. But they didn't stay there very long, and they ended up uh, leaving town. Well, that's the, the culture, that's the atmosphere in which this church was born. And this church had a great love for Paul, and Paul had a great love for this church. So it's not that these, these people did not know what love is. We notice here... He gives them encouraging words uh, in, at the end of chapter 1. He's giving them encouraging words in the face of adversity and suffering for Christ at the end of chapter 1. Notice he says, stand fast, these are what I underlined earlier, stand fast in one spirit and with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel and in nothing be terrified by your adversaries. It was obvious that they were preaching the gospel in the face of adversity, in the face of persecution. They had begun to be persecuted just as he had been persecuted. And he's telling them, when you preach the gospel, you need to do so standing together. Um, you need to have one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel in the face of adversity. Nothing terrified by your adversaries. And then notice, just down from that, it says, Unto you is given in the behalf of Christ... So God has given us the ability in the faith not only to believe on him. He gives us the ability to uh, stand up to persecution. And part of what we have is not only salvation. It says it's been given unto you in the behalf of Christ not only to believe on him. 
but also to suffer for him. Those two go hand in hand. Remember Jesus, during his earthly ministry, he was telling his apostles who had believed on them, you're going to suffer for my namesake. These two things go hand in hand. And I'm bringing out these things because we have a chapter division here between chapter 1 and chapter 2, but it's not really division. It's just a continuation of how they need to be. And he begins with, you've been given salvation, and you've also been given persecution. You've been given that you're going to have to suffer for the cause of Christ. In light of that, it is extremely important. He says to strive together for the gospel, for the faith of the gospel in the face of adversity. Stand fast in one spirit and in one mind. The only way that you're going to be able to do that is what he then begins to address in chapter 2. Loving one another. Um, And so let's go ahead and begin to look at this. Um, How can we be like-minded? We all know that we're supposed to be like-minded. We're to have the same love. Epistle after epistle addresses this. In Cor- to the church in Corinth, he addresses this, that there should be no schism among you. Um, in uh, Ephesus, he tells them that they ought to love one another, and that um, if you go to Ephesians chapter uh, 4, I believe it is, it starts off to be of, of um, speaks of the unity that is in the body of Christ. Um, but how can we do this? Let's begin looking at a few things here. There's three things that I want to point out in three of these thoughts as I divided them, as I divided them out there. Uh, point number one in verse three. It says, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, through self-conceit or pride. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. It stood out to me, and I've emphasized it already, but let nothing be done in strife. There's absolutely, that means nothing is ever supposed to be done. I mean, it's a simple concept, but it's hard for us to wrap our mind around. Because there's a lot of things that are done in the context of strife, the context of division, in the context of, uh, in our mind, standing up for our rights, um, standing up for what we think is noble, standing up for what we think is you know, true and right and so forth. And how many times as you get older, how many times can you look back and go, you know, I think I was actually wrong about that. But boy, you sure thought you were right at the time. And I'm not saying that we can't ever believe, have confidence in what we believe. But no matter how you feel about it, it's not supposed to be done in strife. Even if you're right. This is my point. Even if you're right, it's not supposed to be done in the spirit of strife and contention and division, especially within the church. And vainglory. That's, that's tough in, 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 the, in the name of pride. Uh, a lot of times when you think that you're right, when you think this is how things are supposed to be done in the church, um, it's pretty quick. If you're acting in the spirit of strife, if you're acting in the spirit of division, Uh, there's going to be pride associated with that. And so let nothing, there's not ever any room for anything to be done in strife or pride. Um, These are two of the things that the Lord hates. We've we've been familiar with these passages recently. Six things that the Lord hates, yea, seven are an abomination. And one of them is pride, a proud look. And the other one is he that causes division among the brethren. Well, both of those things are addressed here. Let nothing be done in strife or vainglory. 
And in contrast to that, we have humility and esteeming others. He says, but in lowliness of mind, in humility, let each esteem other better than themselves. This is something that we all need work on. We already know, we've had many conversations about how we will say the Lord has a sense of humor in how he saves people and puts them in the body of Christ. He puts them in a local church and um, nobody's alike. In fact, you can't get any people that are any more different than the people that God puts in a church. Uh, because our natural preferences for who we would like, who we want to hang out with, going all the way back to when we were kids, people just naturally drift into cliques and, uh, oh, and, uh, and groups and things that they like, whether it's the kind, even their kids, whether it's the kind of music they like, the sports, just whatever it is, people just naturally drift into those things. And people by nature only get along with people who have the same interests and, and so forth. And in the church, God puts people from every walk of life. He puts wealthy people and poor people. He puts former drug abusers and alcoholics and, and people who've never even touched the thing and couldn't relate. He puts people who used to listen to rap and heavy metal and everything else, and I'm not saying it the same, you know, the same person, but <laughs> he puts people who like, that's kind of a point too, is people like different kinds of music. They listen to country, they listen to rap, hip hop, rap, whatever. And then he puts them all in the same pot. And then we all got to learn to worship together the same way. We got to look, they come from different demographics, different cultures, and all these things. It is only natural. It's the natural man to cause division, to cause to strife, to cause this click and that click. And oh, the bigger the church gets, the easier the click, because there's more people for you to just naturally gravitate to. In our church, we don't have a problem with clicks, because if you want to be in a click, you're by yourself. <laughs> I mean, we can have 10 clicks in this church, and that's about it. Oh, but. Um, so the thing is, though, as churches grow, we have to be very, and I believe our church will grow, and we have to be very careful that, you know, it's sad. In opposition to this, actually, it just came to my mind, most of Christianity, mainstream Christianity today, is creating cliques. They have the, the youth, the, they have the church service specifically for the young people who are busy going to football games and skiing and doing things on Sunday. So they have church on Saturday night. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You have church on Saturday night to cater to the young crowd. There are churches that have a church service for the younger crowd with the the smoke and the fog, you know, the fog on stage and the rock and roll worship services, and they'll have all that in the message catered to the young crowd. And then in the morning, uh, for, you know, a little bit later, the older people get up later. Maybe they've gone out and done a round of golf, and then they want to go to church. And so, you know, that demographic, uh, they, uh, they have a, a more mellow church service. And they've created these cliques. What kind of unity is there when... Our churches are creating special church services, and I have no problem with youth groups and programs and things like platforms to reach people, but I'm talking about the worship on the Lord's Day is literally catering to the cliques. It makes it really easy because here's the thing. If the majority of those people are actually still lost and they don't really know what it is to be right. saved, what the church culture is doing is catering to the natural lost man in that regard. And they don't have to learn to love people who like a different kind of music. And they all can have their own Bible, whichever Bible they like. I mean, 
It's just all catering to the natural man. Oh, I didn't have that in my notes or anything. It just came to me. But isn't it amazing, though, how churches are catering to to man in that way? So they don't have to work on these things. They don't have to humble themselves and and so forth. And so um, let's talk about this humility. With humility, let each esteem another better than themselves. How highly do you think of yourself? I have to stop and think. How highly do I think of myself? And this isn't necessarily even speaking of, you know, man, I think I'm pretty good at running a business. I think, uh, you know, um, this about myself, you know, I think I can kind of do an okay job preaching. I can, you know, you can get caught up thinking about um, all these different things, but it's not even so much about having confidence in what you do even from a, on a secular level, you know, how strong you are, how healthy you are. It's like we can get proud in hundreds of ways, literally hundreds of ways. But what's even more disgusting to God, I think, is in the church context when we begin to think highly of ourselves because of how spiritual we are, because of our knowledge because of how much time we spend in the Word of God and how much time we spend in prayer and how much this and how much that we do and how much smarter we are than these other Christian people. And we begin to look at the other... And we're talking about in a church context. We begin to look at other people in the church and look down on them because they're still ignorant and they should be further along. And, and all these things in a church context, we can begin... There's a lot of Christian pride, is there not? You know, and how spiritual we are. It's a real problem in Christianity. And so... Oh, we are to actually think more highly of others than we do ourselves. And that's not just a few people. That's, we're supposed to think more highly of every single person in the church, of our brethren. Yeah. I mean, every person, than we do ourselves. We think more highly of one person over another person. Like, I think more highly of Kathy than I do Steve. Because I know Steve pretty well. And I don't know as much, but Kathy seems pretty nice. Um, but we, we tend to think even we have our opinions and we treat people differently because of how they dress and where they come from. And like we have all these opinions about people. This is talking about our esti- how we esteem ourselves versus other people. And just this concept, it's hard for me to wrap my mind around because I'm a miserable failure at it, to be quite honest. To actually esteem the other higher than yourself. It is contrary to human nature. Guess what? God wants us to be contrary to our human nature. Yes. He does. He, he, you think, well, this is just the way I am. This is just the way I'm made. Men make excuses for their sin and the way they live their lives because, well, this is just how I am. This is how I was born. Yeah, you were born that way and God hates it. He wants you to be conformed to the image of Christ. What's the point of being conformed to the image of Christ if he just saved you so you could keep being the way you are, but you get to go to heaven? Wouldn't the world, you say, well, we need self-esteem. I mean, a person needs to think highly of himself. and, And I've got some quotes here. A person needs to, the psychology world will tell you, you need to learn to love yourself before you can love other people. Right? If you've ever spent time on a couch talking to a shrink, Okay, I have. And some of you might relate. But before you can really 
learn to love other people, before you can learn to love your daughter the way you should, before you can learn to love your father and mother and, and get out there and help the other world, the rest of the world, you need to really come to terms with, you need to love yourself. And listen, there, we shouldn't hate ourselves. We shouldn't walk around being depressed. We need to look at ourselves in the light of the Word of God, though. Yes. And there is such a thing as realizing, I am a sinner, man. I am a sinner before God, and I fail miserably all the time. And our strength comes from God. Our strength comes when we were born again and we live in Christ. And so I want to read some, uh, some quotes from some... Uh, I found a, online, I found 50 quotes, 50 top quotes. This is big, man. I mean, I guarantee you this website gets hit all the time. 50 top quotes about loving yourself. There's so much out there about the need and learning to love yourself. And esteem yourself higher than another man. I just have four. This is by Carl Jung. Follow that will and that way which experience confirms to be your own. Well, man, this seems like what God condemned in the book of Judges. Mm -hmm. And they did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord and God hated it. Right? Follow that will, self-will. You already don't have a problem with your self-will. You got a self-will. You want to do what you want to do. And the reason most people don't come to God is because they still want to keep doing what they want, when they want, how they want. Yeah. Right? God right. hates that. Yeah. And whether that lines up with psychology or not, God hates it, and it's got to get out of the church. Yes. It's got to get out of the church. Follow that will and that way, which experience, that's, that's going to be real, I mean, something you can really hang your hat on, which experience confirms to be your own. Here's another one by Buddha. Ooh, Buddha, such a beautiful religion. Um, I've heard people talk that way. You know, Buddhism is so beautiful. Uh, this is what you yourself, as much as anybody in the entire universe, deserve your love and affection. That's a, that is flat out antichrist. It is flat out in opposition of what we're reading in our Bible. This is why people hate the Bible, though, by the way. I mean, really, because if you really get in and start looking at the Bible and it says, let a man esteem other higher than himself. And Buddha comes along and says, you yourself, as much as anybody in the entire universe, deserve your own love and affection. Want to know what's wrong with the world? That. Because everybody's looking out for number one. If everybody was looking out for number two, there would be real love. Because real love is taking care of of your fellow man. And if you really loved your neighbor, which is in part of the law, right? <laughs> then, oh, nobody would ever commit murder. Because if you esteem other higher than yourself, and you love and care for other people more than yourself, you're not going to kill anybody. You're not going to steal their things because you esteem them higher than yourself. But the world, our world is getting worse and worse because it's being just pumped <coughs> What man is already naturally inclined to do, man is just being fed this thing like, keep doing it, keep doing it, and it's the wrong thing. Right. So you yourself, as much as anybody in the entire universe, deserve, deserve your love and affection. A Walt Whitman, just a completely ungodly reprobate, um, considered one of the best American poets ever in the 1800s. He says, I celebrate myself and sing myself. Um, 
He was a miserable person, by the way. Yes. If you read about his life, he was completely miserable, died in misery. But he loved himself, and he celebrated himself. Yeah. Um, the most powerful, this is uh, by Steve Maraboli. The most powerful relation you will ever have is the relationship with yourself. That's anti-God and anti-Christ. The most powerful relationship you will ever have is the relationship you have with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the reality. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. Love yourself. The more you love yourself, the more misery you will end up. And you can love yourself so much so that you pursue everything this world has to offer. And you can attain all the wealth and you can become the greatest leader in the world. And yet the scripture says that what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Right? Man loves himself so greatly that he dies and goes to hell. Yeah. That's That's actually self hatred. If you reject the Lord Jesus Christ and the gift of salvation, you actually hate yourself. Yes. It's self destructive. Yes. So, uh, point number two, or, uh, um, yeah, point number two. So, the first thing we need to do is learn to, we need to practice it too. We need to learn because it's not natural. Let a man esteem other higher than himself. Okay, then the next thing, notice in verse 4. This is how you're putting it in. We're putting it into practice how to love one another. Look not every man on his own things. Oh, man. I mean, that's hard. That's hard. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the thing, things of others. <laughs> this is so difficult. Because everything that man is doing is they, they get a job, they pursue a career, they get their 401k, they make all their investments, they get goals to buy a house, they get a car, and everything is driven. Everything that man does in his life in America is all about making sure you're good to go when you're old. Right? It's all look after the things of yourself. Look on the things of yourself. You can't, you're not even spending that money this year. Some people do, but I mean, so many people who are responsible with the things of their own, right? They don't, if they do give to the church, if they do give to other people, they don't do it with a pure heart. They do it for things that they can get back. One of the greatest reasons that people give to charity is so that they can get that big tax write-off. Bill Gates, all these guys, businesses, Oh, they're charitable people. They just don't want to pay taxes. Right? But, oh, man is so busy looking on his own things that even when he gives, he wants something back. Or he gives, but it makes him feel better. Right? And so the thing is, is um, look not every man on his own things, but look on the things of others. It's really hard to do that. Oh, it's against our nature. Even go back to when you were a small child. When you were a small child playing in the nursery, when you were five years old out on the ball field, it was, it's always mine, mine. You didn't buy that. You didn't get that. You didn't get that toy or whatever, but you're just mine. You know, I want that. 
you're not looking on the things of others. Kids don't naturally care about the other kids. It's a unicorn, man. It's so rare that someone will be talking about their kid. Oh, yeah, ever since my kid was three years old, he was just the sweetest little thing. He, ever since I've ever known him, he just always cared about what, what me and dad wanted. You know, he just cared about the needs of other kids. He just always cared about others since I've ever known him as a little kid. People might say that. But that's rare, rare, rare. <laughs> okay? People come into this world thinking about their own selves. And we'll call it self-preservation. Right? <clears throat> Survival of the fittest. And so forth. <clears throat> but it is man's nature to think on his own things first. And then he'll give. If I have plenty to give, then I'll give. But it's still always... <clears throat> me first, and then everybody else comes second. Um, this look not on the thing, look on the things of others. We saw this in the early church. Um, turn over to Acts chapter two, and then Acts chapter four. <clears throat> as soon as these people were saved and dwelt by the Holy Spirit, it's an amazing thing. They began to give, and they didn't give to the church with these ulterior motives. They just gave because they cared about people. They gave because they cared about the gospel. That's why they gave. Acts chapter 2, 44. And all that believed were together. What, what's, what, we, what we're going to read here is exactly what Paul is saying. Is how This is how we're to love one another. All that believed were together and had all things in common. And sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men. As notice this, as every man had need. That doesn't mean that they created a little communist, a little kibbutz, or some little special uh, community, like a cult or something, and but and just made sure uh, nobody had any more than the other, and we're all just on an equal playing field here and stuff like that. But it actually says, it says parted them to all men. But notice, as every man had need. It simply boils down to, I don't care about my needs and hanging on to my wealth more than I care about meeting this person's needs or the needs of the church. I don't want to be sitting over here with three extra pieces of property when the church needs a piece of property, right? Oh, I don't want to be sitting over here with four cars in my garage I only have three, so I can say this. But, uh, no, I don't want to be. I have to be careful here. Okay, <laughs> I mean, this gets pretty tricky. Okay, <laughs> but but I don't want to be sitting over here with four cars in my garage. Uh, um, when I know someone in the church is having to, this is what I'm talking about, though. When I know someone in the church is having to walk five miles to get to church, right? Um, or I don't want to have all these vehicles, but then I don't ever want to take the time to go pick them up, even. I don't want to um, see my brethren have need and not be willing to help them when all I, all I know i got to do is just sell my four-wheeler or, or cash in on something, take the change, if it's poor even, take the change in the piggy bank down, and this person can't pay their electric bill. This person in the church was sharing with me how they don't know if they're going to pay the electric bill this month. And you don't have to tell the church about it or anything. You take that piggy bank or whatever you've had and take it down and cash it in. And, oh, it came to $99 and give it to the person. You know, 
It's about they sold their things. It doesn't mean they sold all their stuff and then they all ended up homeless. But it says that they sold their possessions and goods, parted them to all men as every man had need. In Acts chapter 4, I think it's almost more clearly stated over here. So a while later, um, it's talking about what the Lord's doing in the church. And they had just been being persecuted. And it says, and when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And they spake the word of God with boldness. And then verse 32. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither said any of them of the things that he possessed was his own. He possessed them, but he didn't say that they were his own. But they had all things in common. So that's what it means is, what's mine is yours. You need help with something? Hey, I'll give it. So he had, they had possessions, but they didn't just look at it. They didn't hang on to it tight. They said, oh, that's mine, man. I'm saving it for when I get, you know, you know we're not going to be able to have Social Security now when we're 70. You know, I, I need that because we're not going to have Social Security anymore by the time I retire. So I can't let that go today because I'm saving that for retirement. Meet the needs. That's true love is caring about the other people and taking care of it when you see it happen. It is actually a blessing to be able to have that you might be able to give. You know, I think to that passage in Ephesians that I've mentioned has always spoke to me where it talks about let him that stole steal no more, but let him work with his own hands, right? Make a living. Let him work with his own hands that he may give to him that hath need, right? So there's nothing wrong with having possessions. Just make sure... You don't love yourself and love those possessions more than you love the need when you see it come up, Amen. right? The reality is God's given to all of us greatly, yes. and he doesn't expect us to consume it upon our own lusts. And real love is when you can just, what's mine is yours. You need it? Go ahead. You can't pay me back? That's fine. That kind of thing. Oh, listed right in between a sentence concerning the power and presence of the Holy Ghost... Did you notice that? I read all those. It says, when they prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and spake the word of God with boldness. And Sanders right there, and it says, then it speaks about their giving. And then the following verse, and with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and grace was upon them all. Sanders right back in there. Well, I go back to John chapter 13. Love one another. He says, love one another. As I have loved you. And then he says this. By this shall all men know. By your love for one another. Shall all men know that you are my disciples. If ye have love for one another. The early church wasn't just preaching with the power of the Holy Ghost. Right? And they weren't just praying with the power of the Holy Ghost. And they were going out witnessing. But right there. Just as powerful as what they were doing with their mouth was evidencing the love that they had for one another, right? By their giving and how they lived. Because that, I know Barnabas, man. He's always been a money grubber, right? He's always invested well. And if Barnabas was sell, I'm just using that as an example because we know he had money. And Barnabas sold off a bunch of his stuff and gave it to the church and went into missions, right? That gets people's attention. When you literally... If you need to, you sell something and give it, and people see that, and they're like, man, normal people don't do that. What's different? This is crazy. And so um, it's a powerful, powerful testimony. That's a strong statement by Jesus. 
By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you love one another. One of the biggest things, I'm going to have to close here. Um, I didn't even get into Christ's example. Maybe I'll develop that into a, more of a message, but I don't want to jam it in. Um, but what a, um, a powerful statement that Jesus Christ himself says, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. I think we have a, a real uh, challenge ahead of ourselves. Oh, this is what I was going to say. The sad, the sad thing is, is that the way that a lot of churches are, you know how many, and it's not an excuse, but you know how many people have walked away from churches? Kids grew up in church and walked away and never looked back. Um, you know why a lot of people on the outside looking in aren't interested in church? It's because they know how church people are. I grew up in that church. These people are a bunch of hateful people. I used to hear nothing but just hatred coming from the pulpit. It might be the Bible, but the way they say it and the way they preach is just, you know, it's just offensive. And the way the Christians treat each other within the church, all they ever did when I was around them was they just fight and argue over doctrine, you know. And the reality is, is that you can flip it around. He says, by this shall you all men know. And I'll touch on it next week, but people go, in, in, in Baptist cliques, we'll just talk about ourselves, there's so many different kinds of Baptist churches. And one of the reasons oh, that uh, there's so much division is people don't want to recognize that these other people are their brethren. Yeah. So it's real easy to be disgusting towards them because they're not, I don't believe they're saved anyway. You know, those people aren't holding to the truth over there in that church up the road. I mean, look at, have you read their statement of faith? There's that one thing on there that, you know, and so we just treat them like dirt. And uh, the thing is, is in, in that handout that I gave you down there, Matthew 25, 37, where Jesus is tell those righteous, and he's praising them for having helped him served the Lord. And, and it says, then shall the righteous answer him, Lord, when see what we thee a hunger and fed thee, or thirsty and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger and took thee in, or naked and clothed thee? When saw we thee sick or in prison and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, as much as you have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, notice that, least of these my brethren, you have done it unto me. When we're in heaven, and it says, the least of these my brethren, what denomination do you think those brethren came from? Were, were they all even Baptists? To even just cut among the division among Baptists. Can you sit here and honestly say that the only brethren that are going to be in heaven are Baptists? That's just not true. That's just not true. And so, if you, when it says that you shall, all men shall know that you are my disciples by the way you love one another. I know he's writing to Philippi, or a, I'll take that back. That wasn't Paul that said that. That was Jesus. <laughs> it wasn't even said in a church context. It's just his disciples. It's, it's a pretty sobering. Do we love the brethren? Even, to put it as a challenge to our church, do we love the brethren or just love the people in our church? Pastor. Pastor.